Again, we thank you in your plan of redemption that you did take us as we were. We weren't acceptable. We were at, at odds with you, enemies. And yet, through the sacrifice of your Son, we've been able to be made righteous and declared righteous, actually being made righteous at the moment. Lord, we look forward to the day when we see you, when you come back for us. We know that we will not be perfect on this side of death, but we thank you for the transformation process that is happening in each one of our lives as believers in you. We do pray that we might be instruments in your hand. We might be willing to reach out, as we studied about in ABF, even when it's at times doing your work is hard. And we encounter opposition, both from within and from without. Uh, Help us to realize as believers that it is a great privilege to serve you, to be part of your ministry, to serve your people, to serve those people that are not yet part of your family by telling them the good news. Help us to be about your business. And Father, if there's anyone here that has never received The Lord Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. I pray that this might be their day of salvation. They might recognize their need as a sinner, that they need to be forgiven. Um, Lord, give us wisdom as we look at this area of ridicule. It's just words, but the words can literally stop us in our tracks. And I pray that as believers, we might keep our eyes focused on you and not others so that we might be about accomplishing your purposes in our lives. Please give us wisdom as we now study Nehemiah 4. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah 4, um, again, you might also want to... There's an outline in the bulletin you might find helpful. Nehemiah... Chapter 4, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I won't bother with you, but find Ezra, you're right there almost, almost there. For many of you, you might have, a, have to find it in, your, uh, in the front of your Bible as far as the contents page. In my John MacArthur Study Bible, it is page 655. Seven, I guess. You know, I, I'd like to do just a little bit of review because I'm going to ask a question after that. Again, we've been looking at uh, Nehemiah chapters 1, 2, and 3 the last few weeks. As Dr. James Boyce summarized this passage, if you want to look at all of chapter 1, you could say it this way, the relationship of the leader to his God. To his God. Because remember, Nehemiah heard about the, uh, the Jews who had escaped, and then in verse, uh, and the concern that he had for them, and he started praying, he started praying, he prayed for months. That's the relationship of the leader to his God. And then in chapter 2, we see Nehemiah, the leader, approaching the king, so therefore that's the relationship of the leader to his superiors. How do you interact with your superiors? For him, he was prepared when he talked, he requested, he requested by saying, king live forever, but then was able to actually tell the king what he needed to accomplish the task. He had thought through it. 
I.e., he wasn't wasting the superior's time, which in that scenario, you don't want to waste the king's time. <laughs> Life and death was in hand, as it were. But then in chapter 3, we see the relationship of the leader to those he is called to lead. He gets there in Jerusalem in the second part of uh, ver- chapter 2. In verse 11, it says that he went around, I mean, he had three days rest, probably thinking through some things, but then he arose, verse 12, in the night, he went around the entire uh, half, the bottom half of the Jerusalem um, wall that had been torn down and inspected it, but it was at night, he didn't tell anybody, but then in verse 17, then I said to them, and that's where he lays out the plan. It says, you see, that we, you see the trouble that we are in. In other words, he personally identifies with the Jews that are living in Jerusalem. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. You know, being laughed at, scorned at. By the way, when you're scorned, your God is scorned as well. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God and that, he, that had been upon me for good. Why did he tell them that? It gave them confidence. God is in this. And also the words that the king had spoken to me and they said, let us arise. They said it. He didn't. <laughs> you lay out a good plan. You say God is in it. God wants to do this. There, it should be the people that say, well, let's do it. It's not just stand here. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. It's a good work. By the way, the work that we do at the Alfred Allen Bible Church is a good work. If you're serving kids, if you're serving adults, if you're serving teens, if you're ministering in whatever way, that's a good work. There's a lot of stuff out there that won't mean anything, will not mean anything even five years from now. But this is a good work. You're passing the baton. I hope you see that. So, the first thing was, is he had a prepared plan, and he clearly communicated the plan to others. Now we get into chapter uh, 3. The thing that we find is that he, he uh, assigned the wall in manageable chunks, manageable sections. If you read all of Nehemiah chapter 3, you find that there are at least 40, and possibly, depending on how you divide one of them up, 41 sections of wall. And I got to thinking, the wall was between one and a half and two and a half miles wide, uh, long around the circumference. If you multiply that by the number of feet, divide by 40, let's say 40 sections, you know how, how long each section was that they had to build? It was about the length of a football field. That was what each section had to build. Okay, so I mean, we're talking 100 yards, 300 feet. Each section, I mean, each uh, person was, was overseeing the, the rebuilding of about, again, if it was two and a half miles long, if it was only a mile, or a mile and a half, then it would have been about 200 feet. So some be, somewhere between two and 300 feet of wall had to be built by each one of these sections. So like when, uh, then it says, uh, by the way, they weren't exact. I mean, you didn't start right up, okay, now you're done, you know. But, I mean, I'm just saying, that's how many feet. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up. Well, he rose up with the priests, and they, they did a section of wall. And then the next one, Jer- men of Jericho, section of wall. But we're not talking just a few feet. We're talking, like I said, uh, probably more than 300 feet per. Okay, Mani- But it was manageable. 
manageable. I, I gave you this quote, and I think it's worth saying again, efficiency is, doing the right, efficiency is doing the thing right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing. In other words, getting your energies focused on the task that's at hand and not allowing your minds to get uh, uh, you know, readjusted. We've got to keep on priority. Keep on priority. So manageable sections. Key number three to getting a task done is he made individual assignments to, to each a task. Again, he delegated the work to individual builders. But don't think that the high priest did all that or just the priest. It was, I mean, there was a group. It was a team. Each one of these represents a team. Forty-plus different sections. And again, you say, well, how big was the wall? Was it like four feet high? But, well, do you have a picture? We don't really know because actually Nehemiah's wall was destroyed after this. By the time uh, 70 AD came along, Romans destroyed everything. So, but I remember going to Jerusalem and, and uh, standing in, in one of the areas where there was, a, and at this point, a market. And looking down, and they said, that's Nehemiah's wall. And it was like, like 15 feet down. You could say, oh, okay, okay, I got it. And, uh, but they figure it's probably, I mean, it was probably looking like this. Sometimes you think of walls, you know, it's, it's not like the wall David built or the one that the Ottoman Empire built, uh, this, which was in the 1500s, but it was just for an idea. I mean, it would have been very rough. They were just trying to get it up for protection, not beauty. But the Ottoman, when they rebuilt, I think they say Jerusalem's been destroyed 20 plus times. Destroyed, built up. Destroyed, built up. Destroyed. So really, what you see in the news right now is not, nothing. Don't ever think there's going to be peace in Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace comes, because it just doesn't happen. But the point is, is that when the uh, 1500s Ottoman Empire built their, uh, the Jerusalem wall, um, I think it was 40 feet high. So let's split it in half. Let's say it was 8 foot wide, 40 foot high. Let's say Nehemiah is maybe half of that. 8 foot wide, maybe 15 to 20 feet high. But think about that. Eight foot wide, I, sh- I was going to come up with the cubic yards, but eight foot wide, 15, 20 feet high by 300 plus feet. That's a big project. By the way, I wouldn't even have thought of that except uh, Tony Graziano said, do you know how big, last week he comes out, do you know how big that wall was? <laughs> I said, well, it kind of was curious to me, but I never thought of it. So I did a little research. But see, you know, I mean, we're talking a big project each each group had a big project. And again, there were all different types of people. You know, you had um, high priests and priests and men from other towns like Jericho. You had skilled craftsmen. You had city officials. You had temple servants. You had city guards and women and merchants. And da, 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 you know, everybody was uh, pitching in. Each had their own assignment. One thing we talked about was a good leader always delegates. A good leader delegates important tasks, important matters. Why? Because it creates a climate of growth. So he delegated the work. He clearly communicated the plan and the parameter. I I assume that he made it very simple, like this is what we want. This is how wide we want it. This is how high we want it. We want you to stop right here so that the next unit can continue on. And he had it all laid out. I'm sure that he had a major meeting of saying, okay, this is how we're going to do this. Remember I told you we're going to be rappers more and more? What do you mean rappers? R-A-P, rap. 
Because I really hope that this, this catches more around our church that, you know, people see that they have a responsibility, the authority to accomplish it with the parameters laid down. In other words, help me to understand the, the parameters I need to stay within so that I, that I um, that accomplish the task according to the overseer's desire. So that's what he had to do as far as the wall. He would have had to say again, wide, height, those are the materials. We want you to put this type of stuff in between the, the, the broken down blocks. Okay, does anyone have any questions? Okay, are we all good? I'll be around to inspect, he would have said, but now let's start. Let's not just keep thinking about it. And they were enthusiastic. I mean, hey, 52 days. Wow. Something that could not, did not happen for 100 plus years. They had tried over and over again, and in 52 days they got it done. That's why you know how good of a leader he was. It was coordinated. That's the key number four. You have to coordinate. And you see this, uh, this, this little uh, phrase, next to them, next to them, like the high priest, verse 2, and next to him. Second part, and next to them. And either that or you say after him. And the, the point is 30 times you just see that little phrase. Oh, they're always, you know... And the idea was they were coordinated, a coordinated effort. Have you ever watched a game? Have you ever watched a sports team? And they were highly talented. I mean, they were well paid. They were highly talented as individuals. But because they did not have chemistry and they were not coordinated in their effort, they lost the game. And you walk away and you say, they're the highest, well, we won't mention any teams, but the point, <laughs> it, it's not just about money, and it's not about just individual expertise and individual um, uh, ability. It's got to do with coordination of the team, and uh, hopefully a, a church would be like that too, right? God, Our God, First Corinthians says, is a God of order, <laughs> And then finally, he recognizes the leaders because we, we read their names. You know, he knew who they were, knew them by name. So I closed out last week by saying this. As he prayed and planned and set the good parameters, it produced this. It produced harmony and unity. It produced production. In other words, the wall was built. And he was, he was praising them, not, there wasn't pain. Pain means this. Pain is when you have to go back to someone that you're seeking to oversee and say, you're going the wrong direction, and there's a lot of pain right there. Well, you don't trust me. You don't have confidence in me. And yet it seems like with these people, they were all together. They were working in, in like one well-oiled machine. And again, it was all about getting that wall built. That was the first phase of it, getting the wall built, then getting the people to walk with God. That was the second part. But the, the thing is, you see so many good principles of leadership. I mean, again, as I said last week, it, it just has really convicted me. You know, like, wow, let's make sure uh, John Prince and the elders and the deacons and anyone else who's overseeing ministries, make sure we have these principles, Right. Because we want to make sure that we are, we're moving like a body. Not like a hand that's over there disconnected from the body. So, a lot of praises up to this point. But now we come to a very negative part of the scriptures, and that's opposition. That's opposition. Now, let me ask you this. I, I took 15 minutes to review because I, I need to ask you these questions. Would you say that Nehemiah has done things right up to this point? I would say he did. Would you say that this is the type of leader that God is going to bless? I would say that's true. 
that you would follow someone like this? I mean, wouldn't you like to follow someone like this? Energetic, enthusiastic, let's, and, and God's on, that you would like the leaders of this church to be more like this? Yeah, I would hope we are, and I hope we become more like, right? Now, is Nehemiah the type of leader you would be more like yourself? Would you like to be more like him? Yeah, I would hope so. Now, since he is such a great leader in doing God's will, would you expect him not to have opposition, therefore? Right? I mean, let's face it. He's God's type of man. God's using him. He's moving forward. The building is being built. I mean, the the wall is being built. I mean, see, sometimes we forget that when we are seeking to honor the Lord, there's going to be opposition. We just forget that. Like it's odd. After all, he's following God. He's being, being blessed by God. But no, there is opposition. And when it comes... It shouldn't jilt us. And actually, we see opposition in the book of Nehemiah in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Three chapters. You have external opposition in this chapter. You have internal opposition in chapter 5. And then we go back to the external. I think, I think God put this... I mean, I'm sure he did. He, wrote, he allowed this to be written to remind us that, yes, the impossible task can be accomplished, the building of the wall... He's going to be in it. He's going to use a man. The man is going to be totally qualified. He's going to get a group of people that are going to be walking with the Lord. And yet there's still going to be opposition. Charles Swindoll writes this. Anyone, and I would say specifically those who are in in Christian ministry, if you're a leader, if you're seeking to honor Christ by uh, by, uh, uh, leading for him, he says, anyone who steps into the arena of, uh, arena of leadership must be prepared to pay a price. True, and I'm going to put Christian, leadership exacts a heavy toll on the whole person. And the more effective the leadership, the higher the price. I, and again, I'm going to say Christian because you see some leaders around the world who are lording it over, they're unsaved, they're ungodly, they just beat their people into submission. And it's all about them having power. I'm referring here to Christian leadership. It exacts a a high toll, a heavy price. He goes on, The leader must soon face the fact that he will be the target of critical darts. Unpleasant though it may sound, you haven't really led until you have become familiar with the stinging barbs of the critic. Good leaders must have thick skin, end quote. Now, why do I say that to you? Because I want you to know that that's just life. Some of you are considering being uh, a deacon, perhaps an elder, uh, getting involved in some ministry. Sometimes we want to say it this way, well, I'll serve, but I just don't want to have any ripples. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. I think it's good. I, I know in, the, in my younger years, someone would criticize me for something and it would literally jilt me. Well, maybe, Lord, I'm not doing the right thing. Lord, maybe I'm in the wrong ministry. Lord, what is the problem here? And I wish I had just, uh, John, do you understand there's spiritual warfare going on? <laughs> yeah, okay, Lord. Remind me, remind me. First Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
Now, that's not talking just about leadership issues. That's just saying, listen, when fiery trials come, don't think it's strange. Again, we're not looking for trials. Oh, trials, where are you, trials? I want trials in my life. I need more trials, Lord. (laughs) Do any of you say that? I I can counsel you tonight. Uh, (laughs) Right? We're not looking for them, but they're going to be here. We live in a broken world. Question, why do we often encounter opposition? Just in, in life. I'm not talking just ministry now, not just Christian ministry. But why, why do people oppose you? Well, some people are threatened or lose face by another person's success. Sometimes people oppose another person simply because they're successful. By the way, there's usually a lot of comparing, envy, jealousy. You know, jealousy is saying, and envy is saying, you know, I, I don't, I wish I had what you had, and I wish you didn't have it, and I did. You know, that type of thing. There's, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of jealousy in, in the human heart. Sometimes opposition beca- comes because they're threatened. Some oppose others or their projects because they have a different agenda. James 4 talks about anger. And why is there anger? And, well, because of passions and desires. There's a different agenda out there. Some feel excluded. Actually, you find part of that in Nehemiah chapter 2. Because in verse 20, Nehemiah tells the opponents, Sanballat and Tobiah, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. (laughs) By the way, that would have made them very angry. uh, Nehemiah could have won friends at that point by saying, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah, you know, let's just try to get along. But then he would have been allowing the enemy into the camp. And ultimately would have destroyed the project. He, he was very specific. You have no portion here. No part. But I'll tell you what, that would have raised up their anger. <laughs> you know, the fur on the back of their net would have, oh, we're going to bury him. Because he said it publicly. Sometimes a fourth reason is because people suspect the motivations of those they oppose. Sometimes they think they have ulterior motivations. Maybe it's selfish, self-gain. Actually, we see this in this passage in a moment, you'll see it. Or of opposition because they're a traditionalist. Someone who says, says it this way, well, I never did that before. You know, so a leader comes in and wants to go a new direction. Well, we've never done it that way before. A suspect. Because my way is the best way, so why are you going in that way? So traditionalists sometimes cause problems. I know years ago when we went to a different style of music, that was... And, and they kept saying, well... And, and, I, and, and if you started asking the person, they would say it something like this, well, because it doesn't make me fe- feel. It's not about you, it's about feeling, you know. You've got to be careful when it comes to even things as miscellaneous as music, traditionalists. When you wrap it all together, just let's think this way. We are seeking to do God's work, and Satan hates God and wants to destroy his work and his people. Ultimately, it comes down to the flesh within and Satan without, right? From out. In fact, his actual name, Apollyon, you find it in Revelation 9, literally means the destroyer. That's literally what it means, destroyer. He's out to destroy. For this particular case, they opposed Nehemiah, Sambal and Tobiah and all the rest of them opposed it because basically this, a strong Jerusalem meant a weak Samaria, where they were ahead of. 
So a strong Jerusalem, the, the trade would start coming to Jerusalem, and not only would Samaria be weak, but the trade wouldn't be there. They would become less financially um, uh, prosperous. It was going to hit their wallet. That's why Sanballat wanted to destroy the wall. They didn't want the trade going back through Jerusalem because with the walls in disarray, the, 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 uh, the trade was, start, was going through Samaria. So the opposition was deep-seated. I mean, it was about their checkbook. By the way, when we talk about opposition, I think you can draw a couple things. I don't think I left in your outline, but just the, as uh, I think it was Wearsby wrote, Two things, and and these are in quotes, these are his, but I think they're worth remembering. Opposition often is an evidence that God is blessing. The human mind thinks of it the opposite way. It's an evidence. Why? Because the Jerusalem residents were starting to work for the glory of God, and the enemy was going like this. We're going to try to destroy it. So sometimes opposition, I'm not saying all the time, sometimes we have opposition because of our own foolishness. But sometimes it is actually evidence of God. And the other thing is this. Opposition was also an opportunity for personal growth. Why? Because during this difficulty, Nehemiah grew and the people grew. They they became more dependent on God. Satan wanted to destroy. God wanted to build. Not only a wall, but his people. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote. "God God had one son without sin. But he never had a son without trials. So you're in trials. That's a good indicator how you're responding to those trials. Even of your sonship. Okay, everyone has trials, I understand that. But how you respond to them, turning them back over to God, seeing him work, that grows us. Praise God, it grows us. And what we're going to see in the next few weeks are basically seven tactics Seven ways that the enemy, different points of opposition, today's going to be ridicule, but seven ways the enemy, Satan through people, try to destroy the work of God. Try to stop you from building your wall, as it were, whatever, that, whatever God has called you to do. But there's a number of tactics. The first one is ridicule. It's what we do with our mouth. So let's get into that. In verse 1, we see the problem. By the way, when I use the word ridicule, you can use the word contempt, disdain, sarcasm, derision. Actually, what they do is they use derision with questions. Kind of like uh, Satan did to Eve, half God said. You ever notice how sometimes a question is very powerful? And it's, it makes the person saying it is innocent, Right? I mean, do you really think that that guy downstairs is a really good... Do you really think he's a good teacher? <laughs> you really have trust in that person? I mean, I'm just wondering. I mean, I'm not saying he's not trustworthy. I'm just saying, do you, do you really have trust in that person? You know. You know, I won't go on, but you get the point. There, questions can be very damaging. It creates this question, right, in your mind. Maybe I'm not in the head in the right direction. Now, when Sanballat, verse 1, heard, this is again chapter 4, that we were building the wall, that we were in the process. We saw opposition in chapter 2, okay? In chapter 2, verse 19, it says he, they jeered, or they laughed, that's the word mock at us. They mocked at us. That, that was before even they st- even started the wall. They mocked at us and despised us. 
But now, apparently this, this mocking continued. Nehemiah got the people together. They started building. And it says that they continued mocking. Uh, now when Sanballat heard that uh, we were building the wall, he was angry. New American says furious. You can see the intensity there. And greatly enraged. By the way, that was his hard attitude, I believe. He might not have expressed it that way. See, sometimes you can do a lot of damage if you have anger in your heart, but you express, uh, you know, the mocking can be more uh, subtle. He jeered at the Jews. So he had anger and he was greatly enraged, but then it says he jeered, he mocked at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers, that's relatives, and of the army of Samaria... I don't think he was literally standing around the wall talking. I think this might have gotten back to the people of Jerusalem. He was probably in Samaria, you know, and the, the word got out. Oh, Sanballat and them, they're just, they're mocking you. They don't think you can do it. Just kept jabbing them with their tongue. By the way, ridicule can be very effective. Wow. Some of you, if I ask you to think long and hard, you can go back to years ago where someone laughed at you. And that laugh very well could have changed your life. Just something as simple as that. And you say, really? No, sometimes that could be. Did something, and you walk away saying, I'm never going to... Or they really got right in your face. and with, uh, You know, it's, it says that the speech can be like a sword and just jabbed you and jabbed you and jabbed you and you can remember those jabbings and it changed the direction of your life perhaps even that's what they were trying to do they were trying to stop him from doing the wall the whole people right British critic and author Thomas Carlyle called ridicule the language of the devil yeah Shakespeare called ridicule the paper bullets of the brain (laughs) I like that But again, those bullets have slain a lot of people over the years. Psalm 64. Who sharpen their tongue like a sword. They sharpen their tongue. Well, they don't sharpen their tongue. They sharpen their tongue in the way way that they use words. They sharpen their tongue like a sword. And bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. That's what he... Words that destroy. Words that break down. You know, the, the person that's... That they're aiming those words towards. Yeah, words can be very, very damaging. And, and you say, well, okay, that's why that tactic is used so often. It's very easy. You know, is it easy to build people up? No, not always. Not always. Is it easy to be in a group, let's say a church or a family, or whatever groups you're in, and not find and then not become a critic? I've come to the conclusion when it comes, it's easy to be a critic. It's easy to see the negative. This is what's hard. See the solution. It's not about about seeing the problem. It's about seeing the solution. Now, again, that's if you're in a family, let's say. Um, Or to church. That would really play out at the church. You know. Oh, is, there, is it easy to find fault? Yeah, but it's, it's hard to see the solution and be a solution-based person, right? Uh, ridicule is easy. It's, it's the easiest way to oppose something you do not like, is just make fun of it. One guy said this, Some who can stand bravely when they are shot at will collapse when they are laughed at. 
Oh, they're brave in certain situations. Because again, the tongue, the tongue speaks, Proverbs says, like the, pier- or the one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So you see the difference. A, a sword never is used for healing. But the wise person brings healing. The wise person brings encouragement. The wise person brings ex- exhortation that also leads to healing. You know, But no, these guys, they were out to, to destroy. Uh, ridicule is easy. It is demoralizing. And many times it is very, very effective. Perhaps because of this, it strikes, ridicule strikes at a hidden insecurity or weakness which almost everybody has. The fear of man. We don't want to have, be put down. We don't want to be maligned. We don't want to be thought less of. When Goliath looked at David, and it says that he, that he had derision for him. Probably he's told him, you know, you little runt. How dare you come to me? Trying to break him down. I come in the name of the Lord. Whose eyes was, was David on, right? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at the derision that they have, uh, this uh, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah have. Well, first of all, verse, uh, the second part of verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? Now, the word feeble would relate to the physically, okay? Physically, he's saying, you're weak, you're withered. That's what the word actually means, feeble, withered. You miserable little insects. See, by the way, were the Jews feeble? Before they were. They had tried building the wall. They were a scattered, exiled people. But now they have a leader who's following God. So feeble is not, that's not their present. That was what their past was. By the way, sometimes people bring up your past to try to get you, right? Oh, you think you're going to walk with Jesus. I've watched you over the years. You know, and they'll bring up something about your past. Can we accept the fact that we're all growing? Isn't that great? No, really, we're growing. And I know some of your stories. And I won't even mention them because you'll say you're pointing to me. But you know what? I know a lot of your stories, and they're all very similar. <laughs> right? Oh, different sins. But usually starts out like mine does, Right? selfish, self-centered, didn't care anything about God, ran away from him, thought I could get away with sin by keep doing it. Then he catches me, repent, go through that phase again, pretty inconsistent for a few years, pretty self-centered for a few... Isn't that kind of your story? But can we change? I trust that you're saying, hey, so, you know, when they say feeble, well, that was the past, that's not the present. When we are weak, he is through us. Strong through us. Then then they hit at this internal motivation. Will they restore it for themselves? Do you see what they're saying? Oh, they're just doing it for themselves. Or will they commit themselves to God? See, their motivation is being questioned. Oh, you're you're just building this wall for yourself. That's your ulterior motive. You're a self centered person. You know what you know what the world cannot understand? Even the world that's part of the religious community that aren't saved. This. A self-centered person cannot understand how a Christian can do something for the glory of God. These people were not just doing it for themselves. They were doing it for the glory of God. It was commissioned through Nehemiah by God. 
And I just don't think they even catch that. You know, will they restore it for themselves? No. I, I would trust that you're doing ministry. You know, you're playing piano or you're leading music or you're teaching a class or you're reaching out to somebody who's hurting or you go into that situation knowing there's a 50-50 chance that they may not uh, change at the moment and you might be the, the target. You're not doing it for yourself. I, I trust you're doing it for the glory of God. Right? You pray in the morning. And you got a list. Nobody knows. You're doing it for the glory of God. Because you care about his people. So that's the first area. They ridiculed the workers. Now they ridiculed the work. Will they sacrifice? I think what he's, they're referring to is usually after a project was done, in that time frame, they would have sacrifice at the end, you know, like praising God. It's kind of like us. We're going to finish the building and then we're going to have a dedication service. Like us. Well, we're not going to offer an animal or anything, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I won't even go there. Um, so they're saying, you know what, when it's all said and done, are they going to really give the glory to God? Is that really what's going to happen? They didn't believe that they were really doing it for the glory of God. And then look at the second statement. Uh, it's got to do with the work. Will they finish up in a day? Like, don't they understand how big this project is? Did they count the cost? That's what the, see, the, the enemy was trying to say, yeah, I don't think you even counted the cost. What, do you think you're going to do this in a day? So again, they just keep jabbing, jabbing, you know. And the implication is this, you're going to quit. You're going to start well, but you're not going to end well. Does the uh, enemy ever say that to you? It might be in the form of a person. Oh, you, this Jesus thing, you'll get over it. Ridiculed the material. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? By the way, when limestone was heated, it would crumble. They were saying, what they were saying is, when Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, there's not enough material there to build the wall. Because the stuff that was burned, it would be useless. It's interesting, though. Actually, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 says, The walls were broken down and the gates were burned. The wood was burned. It wasn't like they had a big fire with the rock and everything there. So, i.e., the stones were still salvageable. But you throw in, you know, when people want to destroy the work, they just throw in whatever they can. And then finally, Tobiah kicks in his two cents. Some, some commentators think between verse 2 and 3, Tobiah actually goes to the work. It's not just being leaked back from Samaria. And verse 3 says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Now again, a fox, a fox was, you know, light of foot, right? Very light. I remember um, Paul Washburn telling me when uh, him and uh, Rosie, no, uh, help me out. What's that? No, Burnside, but the wife, uh, Rosica. Rosica, I want to say Rosie. Rosica. When they were in the area, he would tell me, because he used to uh, trap fox all the time, and he said, you know, they were so delicate, you had to really do a good fox trap to get one. Do you see what Tobias is saying? I mean, even if a, a delicate fox was to go up on that wall, it'd just crumble. It has no, the, the workmanship is that, is that pathetic, you know. What is he trying to do? They were trying to demoralize the workers. Yeah, maybe we were, you know, like I could see the priest. Well, maybe I'm not, I never went to school for this. 
By the way, isn't it great that the Lord uses you in ministries that you are actually incapable of without him? (laughs) By the way, everything we do, all of us, if it has to do spiritually, we're incapable without the Lord's help. For without me, you can do? Do we believe that? I was telling the ABF class downstairs, my, my one little comment, or I guess two little comments for the day. One of them that hit me this last week was this. This last week, you're not the Messiah. That's what the Lord kept telling me. You're not the Messiah. Don't point people to you, John. Point them to me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because sometimes it's easy to get a following yourself. Messiah mentality. No, point him to Jesus. <laughs> point him to the Lord, the Master, the one who gives the power, because when you're off the scene, they'll still have his, their eyes on him and following him, which is the whole point, right? So, they're called to do something that they probably thought to themselves, I can't do myself, but let's see all those types of ridicule. Let's see the response. Let's see what he does in response to the ridicule. The first one is not even found in the text, but I'll tell you this, he did not retaliate. We're going to be looking at that in the future, so we won't spend much time. But he didn't get into a verbal match. Didn't try to defend himself. By the way, he did defend the work of God. As Christians, we've got to remember this. You don't defend yourself, but you do defend the work of God and God's glory. Sometimes that's a fine line because you say, well... You're defending yourself. No, no, you've got to make sure you're defending God's calling on your life, God's uh, character, God's work. See, that part of it you can defend. You can't just, you know, get into a verbal fistfight, as it were. Okay? He did not retaliate. Number two, he did pray. He did pray. If he had argued at this point, it would have meant that the building project would have stopped. The wall would have stopped. But what does he say? Now look, boy, this is pretty inflammatory, it sounds like. By the way, this is severe. This is condemning. This is short. This prayer is short, but it is not vindictive. When I use the word severe or condemning, I am saying it is not vindictive. It's just very pointed. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. That's true. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. You know what he's saying? Let them be exiled. Okay? Let them experience the bitterness of exile. Verse 5. Do not cover their guilt. And let not their sin be blotted out from, from your sight. Now notice the two, your. Your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. I mean, he's actually saying, listen, don't even forgive their sin. <laughs> I... Is, is, this, is, this, is this Nehemiah walking in the flesh? One guy even said this, We shudder as we read his terrible words, for the moment he lost his, quote, self-possession. I never heard of that thought, but like, did, you know, did he like, walk outside of God's will at this point? Oh, he's just filled with anger. By the way, I would say this. Uh, one, no, he's still walking in the Spirit of God. Two, don't forgive their sin, I believe, unless they repent. This looks very much like the imprecatory prayers. I'll give you a couple of verses you can look up later. Psalm 69, Psalm 79, Psalms 139. Those are all imprecatory prayers. 
imprecatory in the sense of this, invoking judgment and calamity and curse on one's enemies. Pastor, are you saying that we should invoke cursing? I thought you were supposed to love your enemies. I thought you were supposed to pray for those who despitefully use you. Well, do I want to answer that? Let's just say this. In opposing the Jews, Sanballat and company were actually opposing God. Do we believe that? They're, they're opposing God. And number two, vengeance belongs to God. Do we agree with that? All right. Not to me, Nehemiah and, other, and, the, and the other believers. He is not requesting personal vengeance, but official vindication for God's people and God's work. That's why the your and you is very important. Lord, <coughs> they're offending you. And I'm asking you to take care of it. The provoke to you to anger. Nehemiah saw the Jews' enemy as God's enemies, and his honor as being involved in the attack on his people. Their malicious mockery was blasphemy, and Nehemiah prayed that God would vindicate himself by judging them. I I do believe. In fact, one final guy said not so much that he lost his self possession, but he said this, and I think this is actually the truth. You have to be a very spiritual person to pray that kind of prayer. I think sometimes the enemy comes around and we want to be nice. You know what? I just think this. Don't become vindictive. That is very clear in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament. But you can say this. Lord, let them eat of the field that they have planted. Be merciful, you're a merciful God. But Lord, let them endure the, the consequences for their sin. By the way, if you, uh, if, you, if you eat of the consequences, there's a possibility they become bitter and you'll be willing to repent, right? Some of the best, some of the best thing you can do for a person is let them taste the, the consequences. Sometimes parents rescue kids from foolishness. They never grow through it. Okay, so I do believe, and we're going to see this again in chapter 6, and we'll get into the imprecatory prayer. There's more to be said, but the, the major point is your and you. He's, he is representing God at this point. I mean, he's saying, listen, I'm just your representative. This is the, the fight is with you, Lord. The fight is with you, between you and the enemy. So that's the second thing he prayed. Actually, this was the point that I had to ask God forgiveness for. I went back in my life and, and times when I, a person hurt and how much time I would argue in my mind that I was okay. <coughs> and I wouldn't just pray and leave it with God. And you know what happens when you do that? Argue in, in your mind? Well, you know, I, this is, and you like all the arguments in your mind? You're not doing the third thing that he does. Nehemiah continued on the work. You're arguing your mind. And you know what? Even though it doesn't stop the work in the sense of physically, because you're now, your mind is not focused, it's no longer concentrating, it's actually stopped the work. He didn't retaliate. He prayed, and he continued to do what God wanted him to do. Isn't that good wisdom? That is really good wisdom. Because you know what? The tendency is this. You either retaliate, or you retaliate in your mind. And you lose concentration, and the thing that God has told you to do, you stop doing, which means, ultimately, the enemy is victorious. And yet, he just continued to work. What does it say? Verse 6, so we built the wall, 
And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Again, only half has been built yet. And they just keep talking in Samaria, and they come down and talk right there, for the people had a mind to work. Because I'm sure they even heard Nehemiah pray. God, it's on your shoulders. You're the one that's, you know, is going to be hurt. Uh, what did Jesus say? He got angry, cleaned out the temple for zeal for my father's house. Is what? Uh, consumed me, I think the word is. Just continue on. Let me close with a final thought. How do you deal with uh, op- uh, opposition? If you go to Romans 12, I can just bang them off real quick. Romans 12, verse 19. And again, this is somewhat repeat, but I, wanna, I want you to see it in the New Testament, okay? In the New Testament. How do you deal with opposition? Romans 12, 19. First, keep trusting in what God has said. Keep trusting in what God has said. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. In other words, don't retaliate, but rather give a place for wrath. What do you mean a place? Give it back to God. Give it a place. So you have, you have energy here. What do you do? You give it back to God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Give it a place. So the main thought is this. Keep trusting in what God has said. What does God say? Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. Okay, I'm going to keep trusting in that promise. That's the first thing. You have an opposition in your life, keep trusting what God has said, verse 19. Verse 20, keep doing good towards your enemy. Keep doing good towards your enemy. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, what? What do you do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Oh, I'm going to really like this because now you're going to crush him, Lord. You're going to really, you're going to destroy him worse than I could ever destroy him. For in, do so, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. See, you're going to burn him bad. No, actually, that's a, um, that's a religious thought. That's actually pointing towards this, purification. The idea is, as you do good, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start working on your enemy's heart. And rather than uh, strike against strike against strike against strike, the good is going to say, whoa, 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 he, he, she is different. And it's actually pointing towards him repenting. The hot coals, uh, Nehemiah, or um, uh, Isaiah, remember the hot coal off the altar, placed on his lips, purified his lips? Uh, Isaiah 6. The idea is purification. No, this means there's going to be hope that the enemy becomes the friend. That's really what verse 20 is pointing at. And then look at verse 21. Finally, keep staying on track with what God has told you to do. <laughs> keep staying on, not track, keep staying on task, or track, you can say either one, with what God has told you to do. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For, for Nehemiah, being overcome by evil would have been stop the wall. For us... This is what overcome by evil means. We no longer can concentrate because we're always thinking about the offense. That's being overcome by evil. Still uh, not willing to serve others. That would be overcome by evil. Uh, Unwilling to forgive versus forgive. That would be overcome by evil. Um, Gossiping would be overcome by evil, right? I'm now getting into the same thing that they're doing. Um, not forgetting God's purposes. Now it's all woe about me. That's being overcome by evil. 
I mean, there's so many ways. In other words, you stop doing what God has told you to do, and those words of criticism and ridicule has stopped the work of God in your life. You've been overcome by evil. But he says, no, overcome evil with good. As I close, I said that one other time. Um, during the early days of the Salvation Army, this puts it back in the 1800s, William Booth, you know, General William Booth of the Salvation Army, and his associates were bitterly attacked in the press by religious leaders and government leaders alike. I mean, just, there was a lot of attack in those early days. Whenever his son Bromwell showed Booth a newspaper attack, the general would reply like this. This is what he would tell his son, and he just kept saying it over and over again every time it came. Bromwell, 50 years hence, it will matter very little indeed how these people treat us. It will matter a great deal how we have dealt with the work of God. So you just keep going forward. Don't retaliate. Pray, 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 and do well, do good. Let's, let's stand as we worship him. As I close today, could you uh, just bow your heads? I want you to think about perhaps recently, maybe it's been many years, maybe it was one situation, maybe many, where an accusation, a falsehood, something said to you, about you, derision, mocking, made fun of. The, the point is, though, that that keeps coming up. Someone that walked away from you that was a dear friend and you wish that you could repair, but what they said before they left still haunts you. Do you have that person thought? I want to read one final quote. The things people say may hurt us, but they can never harm us unless... We let them get into our system and poison us. If we spend time pondering the enemy's words, we will give Satan a foothold from which he can launch another attack. The best thing to to do is to pray and then get back to work. And I would encourage you to do that. If, if you keep seeing the person's face or if you keep hearing the words that were said or the accusations, the accusations that were done, that you would just release them to God, right? Just release them to God. Give them to Him and then get focused on what God wants you to do. Because Nehemiah only spent a moment releasing to God and then he got back working on the wall. <laughs> so I trust that that's what you'll do. By keeping your eyes focused on the enemy, you're really making him the small g God, the idol of your heart. Father, again, we pray that we would be able to release the hurts to you. Thank you that you're called our Father. Thank you that we can even go to you as Abba, Father. Thank you that you are our protector, that vengeance is yours. And yet, as you have been so very gracious to us when we were enemies, you also want to be gracious to even our enemies. And help us to be willing to pray in that, to that extent that they would taste the fruit of their sin, but that they would also then be spoken to by your Spirit and they would repent themselves. Lord, I have confessed to you that for many times I have lost valuable time because I've thought about what people have said. 
And yet, Lord, I and we want to accomplish your objectives in our life. So help us just to lay them at your feet, cast our burdens on you, and start doing and building whatever you have for us to do. Again, thank you for the example of Nehemiah. Thank you for the truths, the power of the truths in your word. May they continue to transform our lives as we, as we meditate on your word uh, this next week. In Christ's name, amen.